Well, it's great to be here with you this morning um, to share from God's Word. Um, but before they do that, let's come to Him in prayer now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. Father, we thank you that you choose to speak to sinners like us through it and make us wise unto salvation. And Father, we ask now this morning as we come to consider it that you will edify and transform us by it and by the power of your Spirit. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. That's a fact that the Bible tells us, and no evangelical Christian would deny that. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful, and he is the ruler of everything. Again, that's a fact that the Bible tells us and that no evangelical Christian would deny. Yet, the world is so broken. As individuals, we face hardship after hardship after hardship until we die. Loved ones pass away. Financial difficulties hit. Sickness enters in. There's problems in marriage. There's wayward children. Life is difficult. Again, that's a fact that the Bible affirms. But how do we live with both the the goodness and sovereignty of God and the difficulty of life? In our lives, when we face difficult times, how can we continue to trust in a God who is good and sovereign when for a period of time everything in our lives may seem so bad? You know, often we can turn to cliches, things like, oh, it'll be all right in the end. Or God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Which are are well-meaning, but they don't actually make it any easier to handle the difficulty that we're facing. What we so often neglect and miss out on as believers is lament. Actually bringing our sorrows to God and wrestling with them rather than just rushing to end it. Lament is how we continue not just to to continue trusting God, but to actually grow to trust him even more. How we deepen our relationship with him through trials. It's how we move from feelings of despair to hope. And just as the Bible speaks of God's goodness and God's sovereignty and the brokenness of the world, it also speaks a lot about lament. There's literally the, the book of Lamentations, where Jeremiah brings to God his pain over the destruction of Jerusalem. But also in the book of Psalms, around a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. It's the largest genre of Psalm. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn with me to Psalm 13, I pray that this morning we'll see, through considering this Psalm, the grace of lament. Psalm 13, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That is God's word. This psalm, it splits quite neatly into three stanzas, three blocks. And so there's three points that I want us to consider this morning as we look at this psalm as a a model for lament. The first point is that in pain, God is approachable in verses one and two. Then the second point that in petition, God listens in verses three and four. And then finally, in praise, God is good in verses five and six. So let's begin with our our first point. In pain, God is approachable in verses one and two. Now this psalm is a, a psalm of David, meaning that it was most likely written by David himself. And what becomes clear right from the start of this psalm is that David is in immense pain. He begins four times, how long? Something's caused David to be in a lot of pain. But we don't actually know exactly what it is. You know, as you think about David's life, there's many points where he could have prayed this prayer of Psalm 13. He went through many difficult times. But although we we don't know what the cause of the pain actually is, whether it be sickness or military enemies, whatever it is, the issue for David is spiritual. David's hurt and pain comes from a sense of abandonment by God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I think that as Christians in Northern Ireland, that prayer might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think if we heard in a prayer meeting someone praying that, we'd be thinking to ourselves, goodness me, is that person even a Christian? How can they say that? Yet I'd be quite confident in saying that at some point in each of our Christian lives, each one of us has felt like this. Felt abandoned by God in a difficult time. Each one of us had had times where we feel that God is far away, that he's not bothered, but that we're hurting. Maybe even that he's turned against us. But what David demonstrates in this psalm is that God is approachable. We can bring our hurt and pain to God, even when those feelings of hurt and pain are against him. These first two verses of Psalm 13, they're they're not a, a theological treatise. It's not scripture telling us that God is a God who abandons his people. Definitely not. But these verses are an expression of David's emotion. He's at the end of his tether. He feels that God has left him. But note, who is it that he brings these feelings to? He brings them 
to God. I'm sure no one here would doubt that David was a man of faith. And his faith leads him to bring even his most negative emotions to God. And we can see from the text what these negative emotions are. He doesn't just feel that God has forgotten him, but when he talks about God hiding his face, he's saying that he feels that God has actively abandoned him. And then in verse 2, David explains his loneliness and wrestling with his own thoughts that's led him into deep sorrow. And he feels like he's losing the battle with whatever enemy that may be, whether it be a person or an illness. David feels lonely and hurt. And he brings these emotions openly and honestly to God. And this demonstrates not a lack of faith, but it demonstrates the close relationship that David has with God. You know, in a relationship between two people, a real sign of of closeness is the ability to be open with one another. You know, the ability to even tell them things that aren't that positive. Closeness and openness go hand in hand. And so to claim a closeness with God inevitably leads to an openness in prayer, even in times when we do feel hurt and pain. You know, that's not something that should be bottled up, not something that we can hide from God either. You know, we can't deceive God. And so when we're lacking in joy, we should bring that to our loving Heavenly Father. Even when the relationship with God is itself the issue, we can still bring that before him. And that's exactly what David did, expressing honestly to God how he felt. But as we read on in verses three to four, we see that it wasn't as though David was just crying out to God in anger, simply to to let God know how unhappy he was, because he now turns to petition, to bringing requests to God, knowing that God listens to prayer. Let's read verses three and four again. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. David's requests link back to what he has expressed in verses 1 to 2. He feels that God's far away from him and ignoring him. So what's his petition? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Notice the the personalness at the end of that petition. O Lord my God. The word Lord there written in capitals is used for God's covenantal name, Yahweh. The same name that David uses at the beginning of verse 1. It's David's personal request to a, a personal God. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. David is addressing the God who he knows has been with him throughout his life. The God who chose him to be the king of Israel. The God who defeated Goliath through him. The God who David knows he can trust. David feels as though God has now hidden his face from him and asks God once again to reveal himself to him. 
David's main source of agony is a sense of abandonment by God. And so his first request is for God to let him know that he is there. And if you're a believer this morning, God has promised that he is with you always. And so even if you feel like he's not there, like he's far away, know that he is there. And ask him to give you a sense of his presence with you, that you may have peace in him, even when times are difficult. That was David's desire first and foremost, that he would know God's presence in the midst of this trial that he was facing. And then David brings his circumstances to God, asking God to revive him that he might continue to live. As I mentioned already, this psalm, it lacks specificity regarding David's situation. And his request for God to light up his eyes, it could be recovery from illness, or it could be to be re-energized in the midst of pursuit by enemies. We don't know the text. It doesn't specify, so we can't say anything for certain. But then we have the the two lines in verse 4. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Notice there that enemy in the first line is the singular. And then in the second line, foes is plural. It seems, therefore, that the, the enemy talked about in the first line is death itself. David's asking, don't let me sleep the sleep of death so that death has victory over me. And then the foes in the second line are those human enemies of David, those who would rejoice over his death. But through this request, we see that David's attitude towards his suffering, it's, it's not fatalistic and it's not stoic. And I'll explain what I mean by that. A fatalist is someone who believes that all events are, are, are predetermined and then, so because of that, you may just sit back and do nothing. You may as well just give up. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. And so the fatalist would believe that there's no point in bringing your circumstances to God. No point in asking him to change them because everything has been predetermined. And the stoic on the other hand, believes that you should be able to face any hardship or trial without showing your feelings or complaining. You shouldn't bring your despair to God because you shouldn't be feeling that despair. You should just get on with it, live in denial. But those are not the attitudes that David takes here in Psalm 13. And they're not the attitudes that the Bible says that believers should take in the midst of trials. David fully believes that God cares and can intervene and change his circumstances. Our God is a sovereign God, a good God, and a loving Father. And so for us, when we're in despair, we can and should bring that to him and ask, certainly ask him to change our, change our circumstances in accordance with his will. God listens to and answers prayer. That doesn't mean that we will always get what we want from God, but we know that his will is good and perfect. And just as the the apostle Paul urged the persecuted church in Thessalonica, we're called to pray without ceasing because God listens to prayer. David poured his heart out to God 
and asked him to change his circumstances. But this outcry, it wasn't one of, one of doubt. A sort of a last-ditch attempt, David kind of crying out, if you're there, God, do this. Rather, David's outcry came from his faith. As we see in the, the final stanza in verses 5 to 6, in praise, God is good. Let's read these verses again. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We see here in in verse 5 that David's hope looking forward rests on his looking backward. I have trusted in your steadfast love. David can look back on his life and he knows that God's care and provision has been with him continually. Although we don't know exactly at what stage in David's life he wrote this psalm, as we read about David's life in the Bible, there's one phrase that crops up again and again and again. The Lord was with David. Throughout David's life, he knows he can trust God because God is with him. And so even in this, this moment of despair in Psalm 13, David knows as he looks back that he can trust in God's steadfast love, which is why he cries out to God even when he feels that God has hidden his face from him. David knows by looking back that God can be trusted. And this steadfast love that David has experienced looking back gives him assurance looking forward. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. As David considers God's steadfast love, there's no doubt that what he remembers is that God provides for his people where they cannot provide for themselves. That is one of the the major themes of the entire Old Testament. God providing for his people where they cannot provide for themselves. And recognizing that, David is confident that God will provide once again where David cannot and will save him from the situation that he finds himself in. And for those of us here today who are believers, we too can look back at God's ultimate provision for his people to give us assurance over what will come ahead. If you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. just want to read two verses from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. As believers, we can endure what is ahead of us, certain of God's steadfast love, because we can look back at the greatest display of that love that there has ever been. 
For those of us with faith in Christ, we can look at the cross and see how Christ bought our salvation, paid the punishment for our sins so that we can be adopted into God's family, escaping the wrath that we deserve and receiving eternal blessing beyond compare. When you struggle to see God's love in your life, look to the cross. That is how much God loves. That he was willing to send his only son to die for you, die in your place. And as we look back at what Christ has won for us at Calvary, we can look forward to enjoying that in all its fullness. A world without sin, without pain, without sickness, without sorrow, where God will fully dwell with us. No matter what life throws at us here on earth, as believers, we have that certainty of what comes ahead. We will rejoice in God's salvation. I wonder this morning, can you say that? The salvation, this hope, it's not universal. It only comes to those who are in Christ, those who trust him as savior, who repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, the one who died to save his people from their sin. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, then you don't have that hope. If you don't trust in Jesus, you won't receive that salvation. But no matter who you are, or what you've done, or what you're going through, if you put your faith in Christ, then you will be saved. You can say with David, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. And no matter what you face in this life on earth, you will have that certainty of eternal life. Back in Psalm 13, David closes off with the appropriate response after considering God's steadfast love. Verse six, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What a difference in six verses. The same man who was crying out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That same man in just a few verses is now proclaiming, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We don't know for certain whether David's situation here changed or not. But without a doubt, we can see how David changed in that situation. That is the grace of lament. Mark Rugop, in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, a fantastic book on the topic of biblical lament. He describes lament as the transition between pain and promise, the path from heartbreak to hope. You know, imagine David hadn't written or spoken the words of this psalm. Would he have reached that point of praise? Maybe eventually, but certainly not that quickly. He probably would have bottled up his despair inside him and probably would have grown angry and bitter towards God. 
And so often in our difficult times, we can be guilty of that. We don't bring our our pain and our despair to God, maybe because of a a lack of faith that God cares. Maybe because we think a, a good Christian shouldn't feel that way. So we live in denial. Or maybe because we don't know how. But that can take us to a point where we feel real resentment towards God at times. But as Paul says in his letter to the Romans, the Old Testament was written for our instruction. And Psalm 13 is no exception to that. See, it provides for us a model for lament so that we don't bottle up our pain until it boils over, but that we bring it to our loving heavenly Father. And as our our loving Father, we can bring our feelings to him openly and honestly because he is approachable. In Christ, we're adopted as sons and daughters of God and have a close relationship with him. And we can bring our our petitions to God because he listens. He hears and answers prayers in accordance with his good and perfect will. And through doing those first two things in faith, that should bring us to the point where we can express our trust and praise him. Knowing that in Christ, our salvation has been bought and we have the certain hope of eternal life with God. I don't know you. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you are having a rough time of it. Maybe you feel that God is far away or that he's abandoned you altogether. Don't just give up. If you have faith in Christ, then God has promised that he is with you. So can I urge you to lament? Turn to him because he loves you. And if you don't have the words to say, then you can use the words of this psalm or any of the other psalms of lament. But don't bottle it up and let anger towards God grow in your heart. Bring it to your loving Heavenly Father to begin that journey from heartbreak to hope. And if you're not a believer here this morning, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, don't delay. That sure and certain hope that every believer has can be yours too if you put your trust in him and give your life to him. See, through the good times and the bad times, God's people can rest in his steadfast love, praising him because we know that we will rejoice in our salvation when Christ returns again. And praising God's what we're going to do now um, as we stand together and sing, Christ is mine forevermore.